Welcome to the Prac Ready podcast, clinical education in one coffee. Matt Cooper here, joined today by Craig Taylor. Afternoon, Craig. Afternoon, Matthew. Good to see you. It's been a while since we've had one of these come out. It certainly has. And today, Craig, we are joined by a special guest. We have uh, Kay Frankcom with us, who's a clinical and counselling psychologist, uh, has a master's in pain management and has been practising for... 30-odd years, hope you don't mind me saying, Kay. Um, and today we're going to talk about pain, which is obviously a very interesting topic for new graduates. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Kay. Look, thanks for having me, guys. Um, uh, yeah, look, I've been practising for over 30 years. I've, I've, uh, I'm a clinical and counselling psychologist, as you said. And um, I guess in those 30 years, I've developed an interest in chronic pain, which... Uh, a lot of people find quite difficult, um, certainly from a psychologist's point, point of view, but also if you're doing any kind of manual therapy, it's quite a difficult area as well. And I particularly got interested in um, compensation medicine, which people, mm. what is that? Uh, it really refers to people who are involved um, as claimants in the compensation scheme. So people who are claiming work cover or TAC or Comcare, and there's obviously New South Wales, um, motor vehicle accident uh, uh, scheme and so forth, these kind of schemes. So people who have been injured. Mm. And um, I guess the, 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 the main reasons I got involved with that was because um, I started to see people who um, really the medicos had, were done with. So people who'd had surgeries, medical interventions, knew, nobody knew what, really what to do with them. And they said, I know, let's send them to the psychologist. Like somehow I was going to magic some result for them. Yeah. And it made me become quite interested in, in that field. And, um, uh, and I guess, interestingly enough, um, probably pain management is one of the only areas, I would say, in medicine that I've come across where psychology is front and centre. Mm. So even your most dour surgeon or your most stoic and kind of disinterested, psychologically speaking, uh, orthopod or um, person who just likes to get the knife out and do their job they realise that uh, really it's a biopsychosocial model we're talking about and that the definition of pain these days that we all recognise is one that says it's a sensory and affective, affect being mo emotion, mm. experience. And so the affect and the experience bit are my interest areas. Mm. That's um, fantastic. Like I was, My first question was actually going to be what is pain, but I feel like We've already uh, sort of covered the fact that that's that sensory and uh, emotion-based uh, experience. Um, I guess a lot of the people listening to this podcast are just starting out their journey in um, their clinical um, experience. And one thing that they would be really interested in knowing is um, when or what are things that you would hear from a patient that would say, this is someone I need to send to a, a person like yourself. I guess I'd say as soon as somebody says, I've had this pain for more than six months, they're likely to be experiencing chronic pain, particularly if they've had either medical or manual therapy interventions that don't seem to have led to recovery. So in other words, they're not, their recovery trajectory is not going in the direction we'd hope. So as soon as you hear that, I wouldn't say then go, oh, quickly, where's the psychologist? But more, you'd be wanting to talk to that patient about um, what have they tried, obviously, all the usual things, but you'd also be wanting to really start to lay down the foundations for the idea that a multidisciplinary approach to chronic pain is the best practice 
this evidence practice approach. And, and that over time, you'll be perhaps talking to them about various things they can do to treat their pain. And this is an interesting thing to talk, to talk about because we often talk about managing pain. But you read the stuff from your David Butlers and your Laura Mosleys, these people who are you know, neuroscientists at the forefront of uh, looking uh, at how we should be trying to deal with pain in our society. And they talk about the idea that we should be talking about treating pain from a psychological and physical perspective with the idea that most chronic pain is really controlled by the brain, surprise, surprise, mm -hmm. because, of course, it's controlled by the central nervous system. But manual therapists, of course, in, in many respects, are acting on the peripheral nervous system indirectly mm -hmm. and then somehow hoping through whatever methods and theories they believe this occurs, mm -hmm. that that somehow will change the brain. Now, psychologists are no better. We go, well, we'll just talk to you about this stuff and somehow magically that'll change all your cognitions and behaviours and, and feelings and then the pain won't bother you so much. We often say things to people like, you just have to learn to accept your pain. Mm. This is a great <laughs> way to get people not to come back and see you, yeah. right? So I think part of it is about saying, how are we going to treat the pain? People like the idea you're going to treat something. They don't want to hear that you're going to manage it because mostly they've come with the idea that you're going to fix the pain. Now, I don't think we can say we can fix the pain, especially with chronic pain, because of the fact it is a brain that's being controlled, if you like, uh, by um, central sensitization, which most people would be aware of these days, this idea that over time the thresholds change uh, in terms of the way in which we experience pain. We become sensitised to things that we wouldn't normally be sensitised to. When we feel pain where there is really no explanation, medically speaking or biologically speaking, strictly speaking, uh, for that pain. So the, the whole idea is really to start to move away from tr you know, talking about fixing things or managing things or accepting things, but talking about how we're going to treat that. And it's going to have to be a whole body deal, which means you have to have a whole bunch of health professionals involved. Mm -hmm. That actually dovetails really well with that question that we got from uh, Lee, who sent in a question about, well, with the pain science um, that seems to be constantly evolving and um, I think getting taught better at the universities, some of the questions that come up, um, and Lee emphasises this is, okay, then what as a practitioner can I do as, a, as an allied health practitioner? Um, a lot of the, and this that's the subtext of this is that the students sometimes feel like they're being told that all of the pain is centrally driven in these mm. chronic patients and yes. they're not quite sure what their role then is. Well, the thing is we don't really know, even where uh, chronic pain seems to be something that's more centrally um, controlled than peripherally controlled, we don't actually know what happens when we put our hands on someone. Now, mm. psychologists don't do a lot of that, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, and we're actually not allowed to put our hands on people. It's not, we're not, a, obviously we're not um, that kind of therapist. but. The idea that sometimes uh, that we heal through that process um, of, of touching people, how do we explain that when people have chronic pain and it kind of shouldn't really work that way? And I think the reality is we don't actually know. We've just got these theories and concepts and abstract explanations. But if you said to me, what would you do in a room with somebody if you were a manual therapist? I'd say, I think I'd be talking to them about the fact that that the more self, the more confidence they have in their capacity to deal with their pain, and the less fear avoidant they are, the more likely they are to get conditioning back in their body and be capable of doing things in a paced and small steps type of way, the more likely they are to have the life they want. Mm. 
It's about meaningful, having a meaningful life. You may not be able to get back to playing tennis or some of these things that you used to love, but you might be able to do swimming or you might be able to walk and hike. You might be able to do other things and you need to set goals that you can actually achieve and that give you a sense of control. And obviously the difficulty with people who are in the compensation schemes is they often feel they have no control. You know, there's an insurance company telling them what to do and they have to keep showing that they're sick, that they're not well, that they're not right yeah. in order to keep getting the services. And so are there there's sort of any strategies that, you know, as a practitioner you should look into to, to try and avoid that, I guess, that reinforcement yep. of their pain, you know? And, and as you said, like the TAC work cover are fantastic at actually doing that, unfortunately, yes. in terms of, you know, as soon as they reach a targeted goal it's like right pay gets cut off off you, go. Off you yeah. go you'll be right yeah, sort yeah. of thing of um what sort of strategies do you recommend to sort of young practitioners in order to well i know a little bit about the osteopathy courses and um because i'm involved in osteopathy australia these days um and my son's an osteopath but i i guess what i would say about it is that you need to start off thinking about once you realize this person has chronic pain how am i going to create a baseline that lets them see that their actual mental health, the way in which their affect is playing out with this particular condition, is actually having an effect. So um, often we don't do baseline measures in osteopathy. Mm. Physio is a bit more likely to do it, um, and chiros don't do it at all either. Psychologists are a bit meh about it. They they like the idea of it, but often feel they're, um, you know, uh, I guess, uh, pressed for time, which you mm. guys would laugh at because they've got a whole 60 minutes. But anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> they perceive themselves to be time poor. We all, ha all, all professions have their traditions. But I think one of the things we've all got to realise with chronic pain is you have to really create a baseline of what the person's function is, both looking at um, their physical function, which obviously most manual therapists have some method by which they assess that, but also how, how good is their self-efficacy, how good is, how um, much are they focused on their disability and how much are they focused on wellness producing behaviours. There are a number of different uh, short measures you can use that are available on apps like Novo Psych is one app that I would really recommend young um, manual therapists to get onto, 45 bucks done. You get the app and it's got like 35 different measures on it. And there's a number of them that are mental health measures that some people might feel a bit nervous about using. But um, th uh, measures like the pain self-efficacy questionnaire and Australian um, uh, established in Australia as a, as a measure, um, it really gives you a good baseline. And if you give that measure to the person like every six sessions with you, you hopefully will see improvement over time. So that really encourages the person, says you're actually doing a good job here. You're getting more of a sense of being able to deal with what you've got to deal with. Um, so I think it's a lot of about thinking about how do I motivate this person rather than through my manual therapy techniques, how do I actually motivate them to self-manage and to see that they have this capacity to uh, help me in treating their pain. Right. Um in addition to that, in terms of the uh, improving somebody's um, capabilities or thresholds, is it also then useful to use um, some of their daily functions and letting them self-select them yep. to then identify, okay, you, they can do more of that before the pain comes on or they can get to a greater range before the, the pain sort of triggers? Yes, I think that's a great idea. And I guess I'd say, I think often we talk about goals with people, but we don't often write them down and then we don't actually have a measurement system. 
So I would say something like the goal attainment scale is a great way to go. A lot of people know of this, certainly manual therapists, OTs and the like know of it. Psychologists are not so great on it. They know about SMART goals, but they don't actually use a measure. So I think it's really important to measure it and to keep a record of it. Mm. And you can even give somebody a goal, there's heaps of different proformers you can get off the internet and give it to the, to the patient and say, perhaps you, we can identify some goals and maybe you want to come in and tell me how you've gone in terms of finding a baseline. The baseline might be I was able to walk to the uh, post box and back. Yeah. Fine. So we're going to do that three times over the next week. Yeah. And then the next week it's going to be every day and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. And we're going to actually rate how you did with that. Being zero is I attained the goal. One is I did better than the goal. Minus one is I was only able to do it a little less than we'd set as a goal. So over time you get kind of this measure. The, the main th- and there may be methods by which you can graph this on an iPad and so forth. I guess that's why I like NovoPsych is because it's visual mm. and it's digital. So people can uh, tend to engage with that much more than paper and pen exercises these days, as you're well aware. Mm. Mm. Um, when we're uh, referring people across to different services, it's also a good idea to be able to inform the patient a little bit about it. Is there any um, general things you can talk about length of treatment for people entering this type of uh, option? So one of the things to say about psychologists is they're not all the same and they don't all work in the same way and they don't all have particularly an interest or a speciality in pain, for example. So I think the first thing I'd say is if you're in a practice and you know that the practitioner's there you know, send people to certain psychologists, find out a bit about what they do, give them a call, check out their website, check out their CV, um, and certainly go looking for people who've got some kind of pain management interest or qualification, because they're more likely to be of use to you. Health psychologists are really good as well in that respect. They often have that kind of focus. Clinical psychologists can do, and so can counselling, but again, you have to check into it. And, you know, I, I guess I'd say find a psychologist who you know knows other psychologists, such as myself, and I get a lot of, you know, what I call the Citizens Advice Bureau kind of calls and, and, and contacts from other therapists who go, you know, I'm looking for somebody to see somebody with a blah, who would you suggest? And, you know, once you find somebody who can help you a little with that, it really improves things because, you know, often you, you might see somebody who finally blurts out to you, I really, would, I really need to go and see a couple's therapist, yeah. which has got mm. nothing to do, supposedly, with their pain, but it might be having an effect on their overall emotional distress. And you think to yourself, I've got no idea to find how to find that person. Mm-hmm. So you need to have somebody you can go to and say, mm, you know, the patient asked me about a couple's therapist, who would you suggest? My view also is that when you're looking at who to refer, you need to think about where your patients live, because especially for psychology, it needs to be somebody nearby, either near where they work or near where they live. So for me, you know, I lived and worked in Williamstown in um, uh, western suburbs of Melbourne, and sometimes people would want to come and see me who lived on the other, you know, 30 kilometres away. I'm like, that'd be lovely, but you come a couple of times and then it'll just be too much for you, especially with chronic pain. Mm So I think it's about trying to steer people in a direction where there is access and where the person has an interest in the issue that the per- that your patient has. Yes. And obviously, um, you know, each patient is unique. But um, how long? Um, oh, yes, you asked me yeah, how long a time frame would people take? Um, <clears throat> these days, because um, psychology has been included in Medicare uh, since two thousand and six, so over ten years, obviously. Most psychologists are used to treating people in what we would call short to medium term therapy. So 10 sessions in a calendar year is what is rebateable under that, under the Medicare scheme. So I would say to you that most psychologists would 
be geared to the idea that within 10 sessions they would want to have an improvement in that person's mental health and also their ability to uh, deal with their pain in, in, you know, as they are experiencing it. So um, in private practice, as you know, which many psychologists are in private practice these days, you know, time is money and, mm. you know, you have to be efficient and you have to have uh, a pretty clear way of helping that person straight away and understanding what they're coming about, understanding what is their goal for coming to see you. How do, what do they understand about why the osteopath or the physio sent them to you or their pain physician? Mm -hmm. um, what do they already know about pain? And then about talking about what's the framework that, that you, being myself, if it was me, work from. There's no, no point in listening to somebody go on about how they have no control over their pain, um, the, the doctor told them they probably end up in a wheelchair and so they're anticipating that and don't you know they've got degenerative discs and so on and you don't say a word about that if you're a psychologist because that's physical isn't it uh, for me it's like I don't actually go into their MRI and tell them what I think about it although you know given my qualifications and background I probably could help with that that's not really my scope my scope is really about saying we need to talk about where you're at now and we need to work out how we're going to turn it around and head up because there's only one way you are down in the pit yeah. and usually they're in the depression pit which is very common in chronic pain um, and then just talking about time people often say well should we be treating the depression first before we deal with the function mm. like I says, you've got to really deal with them together yes, we know yeah. that activity improves mood yeah. even osteos know about that yes, um, and <laughs> So we should be prescribing as much as possible some kind of activity regime, be in touch with the physical therapist they're working with and so on, so that we're getting, we're all on the same page. But also we have to say to the person, there is hope. If you can't create hope and expectancy, then you're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. But you also need to not be telling the person, if you can't do this, then obviously you can, you're not accepting your pain. and you're, you know. So you need to be clear about what your framework is and not sound punitive towards the person. I think that can be really hard with, like, I'm sure we've all seen patients who feel like they're at the end of the line and the patients are presenting and they've seen X amount of um, professionals already and then you're assessing them and you're thinking, okay, I need to send this person off to somebody else now. Is Do you think there's any a good way to communicate that to a patient? Saying, I'm... I can help you, but there might be somebody else who's going to be better at doing this job, but they've already come from this experience of being handballed along from a few different people. Well, I think before. it depends on what your what your explanation and your, your formulation is that you give to that person. You know, for me, it's like saying, look, Betty, I've read your scans, we've done an assessment, uh, you're 50 years of age, you've had a range of uh, repetitive strain injuries, uh, both of your arms give you a lot of grief, a lot of uh, pain and you, you're not sleeping too well and you're feeling like your marriage is under, under pressure and you haven't been able to return to work. Have I got it right? Yep. And as a result of that, you've got some mental health issues probably. Most people would have. It's very common. Um, and also you've got some issues with lack of range of motion, uh, with just your capacity to have any idea about what you can and can't do and whether or not it'll cause further dramas for you. So is that also part of what's going on? So for me, it's about talking, trying to talk through with them what it feels like to be in their shoes. Yeah. And then saying, not, oh, I'm going to send you on to somebody, but more, this is going to have to be handled by a team of us. Mm -hmm. Are you with me? 
And I might be the key person at the moment, but maybe you might find that Kay, my, my colleague who's a psychologist, will end up being the person who really helps you to manage what we're going to be trying to do. Because I'm going to push you a bit. I'm going to challenge you. And she'll challenge you in a different way in between us. Hopefully we can get some outcomes for you where your mood is better, your relationship improves, and you feel like you can do some of the things you used to like to do. Wouldn't that be good? So for me, it's that kind of idea that um, we're talking to people in uh, a pretty straightforward fashion. We're not promising anything, but we're trying to give them that sense that they are not at the end of the line, even if the medicos think they are. And for me, if anybody said to me, oh, it must be so depressing seeing all those people with chronic pain, I'd go, nah, I'm really happy when the doctors are done. I go, is the doctor's done with you? Yep. They've done everything they can do? Yep. I said, well, guess what? It's you and me, and we're going that way. Yeah. And, you know, I, I suppose that's, in some ways, that's the influence of my personality and the, the, the style of, I work with people which I've developed over time, but I guess I'd say as a young practitioner of any kind, I think you've got to be, uh, try and think about how you can propose those sort of ideas to that patient um, so that they... Uh, feel invigorated by what you're suggesting. Um, a lot of the time, um, manual therapists, physical therapists think if I talk to people and don't actually do something to mm. them, they're going to think that you know I'm not really a proper osteopath or whatever. And yes. Sometimes you've got to say to the person, I mean, I'm, I'm going to speak to you for about 10, 15 minutes. We've got a long consult, so I've got a bit of time. So just be aware, I'm not going to spend the whole entire time with my hands on you. Mm. But my experience is this will be time worth spending. And better spend it at the start, and then we'll do the relief kind of work, if you like, in the middle, and then we'll have another chat at the end. Are you with me? So I think it's about really how you structure your session so you're really addressing those sort of issues. Yeah, what a great explanation, especially at the start of that, about how you can frame something completely differently and get the patient on board um, and wanting to be a part of that team themselves because it's important that they are as well. I thought that was, yeah, yeah really, I'm going to use a lot of that myself. <laughs> I think some of the really words that we don't use a lot, and psychologists aren't good at this either, is saying to people, I want to collaborate with you. And people sort of look at you, what the hell's that? What's We've got to work together. Mm. Yep. Because I don't have, I'm not in your body. I've got ideas about what mm. we can do to help your body and help your mind, but we need to work on this together. And if I think you're not on board with something, I, you need to tell me, and if, if I don't guess it, and I need to have a way of getting your feedback in order to make sure we're on the right track. Okay. I reckon that's a fantastic point to finish that conversation on. Um, thank you for your time this afternoon, mm -hmm. Kay. That was fantastic. Um, how can people get in contact with you if they've got any yeah, questions? Yeah. So um, my website is um, kfranken.com. Um, feel free to go on there, have a little read. There's a little bit of pain stuff there a bit about the work I do, my clinical work, but also the coaching and um, supervision work I do with fellow psychologists. Um, so, yeah, please uh, get in touch with me. Absolutely. We'll put the link for that in the show notes as well. Yeah, definitely, and also that uh, link to that uh, website as well, the Nova Psych. I think that, that's going to be a very valuable tool for practitioners out there everywhere. Uh, yep, so finishing up there, folks. If you've got any questions, please feel free to email us at prackready at gmail.com uh, or hit us up on Instagram. You can find us at prackready. Uh, thank you for that, Craig. Good to see you. Thanks very much for having me along again, and thanks very much, Kay, for your time. Thank you, Kay. Have a great afternoon out there. Thank you for listening to Prack Ready. 
If you wish to contribute, Craig and Matt would appreciate the support. Head over to www.patreon.com slash prackready and join our coffee club for $4 per month. That's www.patreon.com slash prackready. Do it now. Have a fantastic day and all the best in private practice.